Good morning, good afternoon, I should say. We've, we've gone, it says actually a quarter past one up there. That can't be right. But uh, anyway, good to see you. Um, we are continuing a new series which um, uh, we've just begun called The Jesus Stories. And uh, that's been prompted. In fact, the team have been looking forward to preaching this for some time now. But, but that's really been prompted because, uh, you know, as over the last few weeks, uh, we have been very focused on opening new buildings and equipping new facilities. And, you know, I'm pleased to say that we didn't lose the plot completely. We've stayed Jesus-centered and what have you. But uh, now the sort of marching bands have gone and all the rest of it, the mayor's gone home and we, the new facility is open, our wonderful new feed, feed store and children's thing. I, I just, we, we just felt we wanted to get back into Jesus. Because Jesus is the reason we've done all this and the reason we do what we do. You know, if you take Jesus out of it, we don't want to do it. We're, we're just not that nice a bunch of people. Just turn to your neighbor and say, you're not that nice. <laughs> you see, uh, some people would do that, but no, we're a horrible bunch here, you know, we really are. But the fact of what changes us is Jesus. If Jesus is at the center of our lives, if he is who we worship and who we seek to honor and to make known, well then suddenly we find ourselves doing all sorts of things that we wouldn't naturally or normally do. So now we find ourselves running one of the largest food banks in uh, Hertfordshire and doing all sorts of crazy things, going on missions to the other side of the world and all sorts of crazy stuff. But it's not because we thought, oh, that'd be a good idea, it's because we love Jesus. And if you take Jesus out, as I've just said, then to be honest with you, I don't think it's in us. It's Jesus making him known that uh, inspires us to do all of this. So the Jesus story seems like a, an appropriate title for this series, and we'll be uh, preaching in and around that up to uh, the Christmas season when we'll be looking, of course, about uh, the nativity and, and the implications for all of that. Now, last week, I, uh, as I've launched this series, and as I said, a number of people will be preaching, uh, but as I launched it, I really felt I wanted to go into Luke's account of the stories of Jesus, or Luke's gospel, as it's frequently called. And as I said to you last week, Luke wrote uh, Acts. Luke is a doctor, or was a doctor, I should say, and uh, he uh, was a first, it, it, he's, you know, he has primary evidence, he was there, he saw it. You know, when we get into the Acts of the Apostles, there's, there's fascinating little passages where suddenly uh, the, the narrative changes from th statements like, well, they went from here and they went to there and they went to the other, and it changes to, uh, we went to so and so and we went, and so he's all part of the, it's just wonderful firsthand experience and, and what have you. And what I said last week was that Luke, the doctor, and that was his profession, he was a, a physician, what he was doing with this account that we call the Gospel of Luke and with the book of Acts was he was writing up for a wealthy and influential Greek person called Theophilus. We don't know a great deal about him, but he was writing this account for him, uh, just as he says in his own words, just so that you know, may know the facts. Now Luke, though, has a subtext. There's something that he's wanting to do. He's wanting to you know, provide the facts, and we talked a little bit last week, we just said in passing that that you know, nobody denies the historical Jesus these days. You know, be you Christian or not, you'd be foolish to do so. There's just too much uh, written, too much evidence, so that you know, we know that Jesus uh, lived. Let's say that for the moment. I want to say he's alive, but we know that Jesus lived, 
uh, and uh, that's not disputed anymore. Uh, we also know that he was a wonder worker. Many uh, faiths, not just Christian faith, recognized Jesus as a prophet, one who spoke God's word, taught well, but also uh, did wonders. Uh, and you know, there are those today who do wonders. In fact, we see signs and wonders here too. Week by week, we see people touched by God and healed and wonderful stories. And you know, read, go onto the website, check out those stories, those great stories of God's sort of transforming power and healing power and what have you. So all of that is known. Uh, and so Luke is laying out this, this set of story, this set of uh, events as clearly as he can for Theophilus. Uh, but the subtext is that he's really inviting uh, Theophilus and indeed us here in the 21st century to ask a question. And that question is, who is Jesus? Yeah, wonder worker, historical Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But who is he really? And he constructs his writings in such a way as to intrigue and to draw on. And last week we talked about, by using little tag, Lord over something or other, we said last week that he demonstrates early on that he is a Lord over evil. And that wasn't just a two-third, that isn't just a two-third world preoccupation or a, you know, a, a sort of ancient times preoccupation. Many 21st century Western Christians are afraid of evil. Things creep them out, spook them out, weird them out. And they can't put their finger on it, and it just is weird and wacky, you know. Films, hence the fascination for series and films like The Exorcist and all these kind of things. We have this kind of begrudging, in some cases, begrudging acceptance that there is more to this world than meets the eyes, and some of it is not good. So it's a message we can take on board. Jesus is Lord over evil. He's Lord over sickness. And what I want to touch on today is, uh, I want to move it on a little bit, briefly on Jesus is Lord of creation. I'm actually going to unpack that a little bit more later on, but I just want to touch on that because it falls in the text. That's the way Luke unpacked it. Uh, but actually today, what Luke begins to do is he begins to deal with a nuttier problem which is this, what, what do we do with sin? What is sin? How, how can we be clean? Let's put it that way. How can we shred, you know, shed ourselves of this sense of unworthiness and shame and regret and you know, all manner of stuff which, which is very, very prevalent in the 21st century? You know, you don't need the book to tell you that people are struggling with that kind of stuff. Sense of unworthiness, a sense of God, you know, God must be done with me because, because, because. And sometimes it's because of things we've done, more often than not. But sometimes it's even things that have been done to us. This was done to me, therefore I must be that or the other or unacceptable in some way. It's complex and this, for those of you who have a pastoral gifting, you know, this is the world in which we live in. We're continually dealing with this kind of stuff. So Luke transitions from that which is known and begins to raise these nutty questions. And we're going to see these sort of alluded to in three stories that I'm going to, to uh, tell you now. I'm going to paraphrase the first two. I was going to read the text and make a meal of it, but I just feel prompted to spend a little more time, a little more detail on the last of these three Jesus stories, which I'm trying to get through this morning. So the first one then is, 
Uh, You'll find it if you want to read up on it later. It's Luke chapter 5. And uh, by all means, go home and read up this or meditate or think about it this week. But it's a lovely story. And it's a story how Jesus is really coming into the, 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 you know, the, the good times. Let the good times roll. A time of success, a time of, 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 pop, of, of popularity, excuse me. But it's becoming a bit of a problem because uh, thus far he's been casting out demons. He's been teaching and preaching and, and, and uh, uh, healing the sick in vast numbers and not surprisingly, vast crowds are tipping up everywhere which way you can go. You know, it's, it's getting actually a little out of control. So now he finds himself in this situation where he's walking along the side of, side of the Sea of Galilee. This is the first 11 cha- verses of uh, chapter 5. And uh, the crowd is there and they just are hanging on every word. And it gets so bad, it's so much of a crush that suddenly he has a, a bright idea. There's a couple of boats, fishermen's boats, that have been pulled up on the seashore. So he gets into one of them and says, look, push me out a little way. So they push him out, and you know, he's you know, a few yards off the, the shore. Uh, and from that position, sort of like a floating pulpit, he can address the crowds, you know. Uh, and uh, so he sort of sits or stands and, you know, speaks to this huge sort of crowd that's assembled there. Anyway, when it's all done dusted... They, you know, the people begin to sort of disperse and he kind of gets paddled back in or he paddles back in or whatever. And there's the owner, this guy called Simon Peter, who's a fisherman. And they've been quietly getting on with the sort of tasks of mending their nets and washing their nets and really looking forward to going home and having something to eat and a bit of shut eye and what have you. Uh, anyway, he says to Simon Peter, he says, Peter, look, I'll tell you what, thanks very much for the loan of your boat. I tell you what, why don't, why don't you just push out into the water, go into the deep water, let down your nets, and, and let's see what, what comes along. See if we can catch a few fish here. And Peter kind of looks at him, and he's weary. <laughs> you know, uh, as we're about to find out, they've been out all night, and it wasn't a good night. And all he really wants to do is go home, have a good meal, and get ready for another night on the water. So he looks at Jesus and he says, um, I don't want to be rude, you know, but truth is, we've been out on the water all night. It was uh, not a good night, suffice it to say. In fact, to be honest with you, we didn't catch a thing. And we're absolutely beat. And I'm fine, you know, you, you use the boat and that's great, but really, I just want to go home now. And my lads are itching to go home. And, and he's kind of, doing this kind of a spiel and all of a sudden his sort of his voice tails off Jesus doesn't say a thing and he says oh well okay right and he looks at the fellas and the fellas are going and he says well because you say so Lord um yeah. All right, we'll do it. Okay, lads, come on. Stop grumbling. Just do it. And they get in the boat and they push a bit way out. They get into the deep water, let down their nets. And you know, there's all sorts of, this begs all sorts of questions. You see, the fishing in those days, as, you're, as you actually can still see to some degree, was pretty primitive by today's standards. They weren't trawlers, 
They weren't scraping some great big box net along the bottom of the thing. They, they, they just would go out in a boat probably about the same length as this stage, 25, 30 feet. There'd be two or three men working, and they would have these, these hoop cast nets. And um, they, they weren't these great dredges and things. And they would fish at night because at night, as many of you will know, the, water, the, the, the fish come up from the deep because it's dark and the sun you know, is not good for them. And uh, because they're near the surface, that's how they catch the fish. So here we are, it's broad daylight, sun shining, it's Galilee for heaven's sake. Goes out to the deep water where their nets are never gonna reach. Uh, and they cast out and bang! Immediately they're into this whopping great big shoal. Made you jump, didn't it? You were dozing off, I know. Bang! And suddenly the boat is healing and you know, the water's lapping at the gunnels and they're trying to get this thing in which is just heaving with fish. Suddenly action and activity. Peter whistles up. Oi, come out here. Calls his cousins with the other boat and they come out as well. And they struggle to get this thing up. Finally, they get both these, both these boats and the six men working together. They get this thing aboard. It is absolutely crammed with fish. They don't break their nets. They don't capsize. They, they manage to get to the shore. And there's this huge catch. Now, Peter is a fisherman, as are these other guys. He's the son of a fisherman. Probably his grandfather was a fisherman. They know fishing. And what has just happened is absolutely unheard of. And his response to Jesus is interesting. What he, what he says to Jesus is not kind of like, hey, bro, I thought you were a comp- carpenter. Want a job? Come on, fish. We'll really do something here. It's not kind of, wow, what was that? How did you know that? I know, don't tell me. You were up on a hill, you could see a dark shadow and you knew it was close to water and so, yeah, I got it, I got it, yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't do any of that kind of stuff, any of that sort of bloat banter or anything like that. What he actually does is falls to his knees. He falls to his knees. He is completely overwhelmed with what has just happened. And he says to Jesus, just leave me, God. Leave me, Lord. doesn't say God. He says, leave me, Lord. I, I'm a sinful man. You see, what you and I might just say, good luck, good fortune, as a professional fisherman, what just took place was so far out Side the box that for that fisherman on that beach it was a miracle for you and me it's just a lot of fish better get it out of the sun quick otherwise there's going to be a lot of a smell too you know Jesus looks to him because after all and Luke's point is this Jesus is Lord of creation Jesus looks at him and says, Simon Peter, come on. Come on, get up, get up. Go on, 
follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And such was the profound impact upon these hard, calloused hands, working men, that the scriptures say they left their nets where they were and they followed him. And what's more, they followed him for the next three years. And beyond that, they followed him to their own death as martyrs. And they founded the church and other men and women like them. And they did a good job. How do we know that? Well, look around you. We're here today. The church was birthed through them. These uneducated, as I've said, callous-handed men, a bit rough and ready. That's how the church, and that's on those kind of people, the church was founded. Now, what Luke is doing here, he's continuing his Lord over theme, Lord over evil, Lord over sickness, Lord over creation, but he's introducing this new thing, as I've said. It's remarkable that the first flagging of it, of the change, of the going deeper, is through Peter. This intelligent but uneducated man, he wasn't a complete duffer, he would have been, had some education, but he says, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. And Luke flags, begin to flag, what do we do about sin? What do we do about this unrighteousness thing? Now, in the next story, it appears that he might answer that question. Because in the next story, what it says is, and this is continuing in Luke 5, and you can read this yourself. It says Jesus left that place, and he was on the way, a great crowd following him. He's got his new disciples, his followers, his close intimates, and what have you. And suddenly along the way, this leper approaches him. Now that was really something to freak you out. A whole load of stuff going on there. First of all, lepers were outcasts. They were not allowed to live in the community. Hence, they were leper colonies, not because a place of sanctuary and safety, but because they were lonely. They lived together because they were They'd been cast out. They were told, the law said that they had to vacate their family. They'd leave behind their children, their husband, their wives, their best mates, their their relational infrastructure, all the people that they held dear, all the people they'd grown up with. They would have to leave them and go out into the wild places and live there And if they had a loving family, maybe the family would come and leave food for them at some distance, etc. A pretty appalling lifestyle. And this chap had been in this place for quite some time. His leprosy was extensive. So as this leper sort of approached and called out, it would have, a lot of fear would have been, a lot of fear and anger would have been expressed by that crowd. And what he says, what he shouts out is, he says, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. An interesting statement and a deliberate one. 
He doesn't say, Jesus, please heal me. He says, if you are willing, implication be you might not be willing because the thing is that leprosy in those days, that kind of sickness was supposedly indicative of sin. Indicative of sin in your life or even it may not be your, if it wasn't your life, sin in your parents' life or somebody in your close family and you had been chosen by God to endure the wrath of God and to be judged by God and the fact that you had this disease was indicative that you were, for all the world to see, a sinner. So he doesn't say, Jesus, please heal me. He says, Jesus, if you are willing, because you may not be, because I am a, what, about what I am, make me clean. And in that moment, Jesus does the absolute unthinkable. And Christians are called from time to time to do the unthinkable because we're followers of Christ, right? What Jesus does is he, he goes to the man, he says, and he touches him. Oh, you did not touch lepers. Why? Because you got leprosy, right? Wrong. We know that actually leprosy is conveyed through sneezing. That's how you catch it. Anyway, he does the unthinkable. He touches him. Dangerous thing to do. You might get sick. But he also, it is absolutely forbidden to touch a leper because the leper is unclean. And if you touch the leper, you become unclean. Concepts of sin. Society's understanding of what sin is. You see, there's a bit of a juxtaposition going on here. Peter, who was a successful local businessman, a character well-known by everyone, probably uh, you know, a bit, bit too loud mouth for his good, for his, his good but, but he's a man, successful, and in the moment of great success, falls before God, aware not of his great good fortune, but aware of his sin, although you'd never have known, because something inside of him opens up and he realizes that he's a sinner. Whereas this poor leper guy who, maybe he was a sinner. We're all sinners. Yeah, yeah, he's a sinner. But, but, but the whole community had judged him as, as sinful. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus says with great compassion, he puts his hand and he says, I am willing. I am willing. And if you are wrestling with years of shame, and we've found extraordinary things over the years as, as we've ministered to people in this community and beyond that people carry shame with them for years and they self-medicate and they do what they can to distance themselves they, they in, internally do a no, 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 no I can't deal with that it's just extraordinary the way people struggle and, and, and deal with these kind of issues but what Jesus does and he says I am willing Jesus is willing to deal with your stuff. All right? He's willing to deal with your stuff. And then he says, be clean. Uses the man's own language. He doesn't give him a theology lesson. Well, actually, I know you're saying be clean, but actually, theologically, we don't. He deals with the man. He meets him right where he is. And what's more, he says to the guy, as he is healed... Extensive. I've often wondered, what does that look like? I mean, as you know, with, extent, with, with severe leprosy, you start losing digits and you know, bits of your body. It, it, it's terrible. 
as well as being made visibly clean, skin restored to that like something of a baby, fresh new skin, you know, were, 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 were fingers and toes and other, you know, was he restored? Anyway, the scripture just says he was made completely clean. And then Jesus, dealing with the social pressures of the day and with the law, the demands of the law, and Jesus came to fulfill the law, he said, he says to him, go to the priest, make the sacrifices that Moses uh, decreed and show yourself to be clean. And off he goes. It's an interesting story. But it's setting us up. We're transitioning for the obvious even though it may be wonderful and mysterious and extraordinary, a sign and a wonder, we're beginning to deal and get in touch with the very thing that Jesus came to do, which was to deal with our sin, our uncleanness, whether it's visible or hidden. And the third story, and this is where we will read the scriptures, really takes and deals with this head on. Carry that question, who is Jesus in your heart and your mind as we read through it. So if you've got your smart device or your Bible or it'll come up on the screen, let's read through Luke chapter five, beginning at verse 17. Excuse me, just a moment. So, one day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. And they had come from every village in Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. I love this, in these early stages, and we see it in Mark's gospel too, you know, Jesus seems to heal pretty much all and sundry, all comers. But as the crowd problems become more intense, he has to be more selective and more strategic. It's just becoming impossible. He, he can't go anywhere. Uh, and he said right early on, he said, you know, my, I'm called to, to preach the good news in, in towns and villages all over this, this region. But he can't move 25 feet without, you know, a, a crowd gathering around him. But at this point, we've not quite got to that yet. The power of God, it says in verse 17, the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. And so people were being healed left, right and center. Wonderful. Verse 18, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. It doesn't say in the NIV, but in a number of uh, versions it talks about, you know, in the Amplified Version, what have you, it talks about, you know, ripping the tiles off and and lowering the guy down. You can just imagine the crowd inside. You know, they've got a, they, they think they've got the best seat in the house right near Jesus, and suddenly a piece of pantile hits them on the head, you know, and they look up and a load of dead spiders and beetles fall in their face. I mean, they must have been thrilled, you know. And so they, anyway, the, Jesus, they're blinking against the light, you know, their silhouette and these four sort of grubby, sweaty faces peering down, and this fellow's, their mate, being lowered down to the middle of them, and they look up, at the space, and, and Jesus just loves them. He loves their, their commitment. He loves their love of their friend. And he loves their 
fundamental belief that if anybody can sort their mate out, well, then it's Jesus. He just loves it. And he says, Lord, he just says, guys, I love your faith. I love it. I absolutely love it. But what Jesus does next is extraordinary. And boy, does it set the cat amongst the pigeons. You see, he's been healing everyone. And here's this guy let down on his kind of, you know, on his, his, his stretcher or whatever you call it. He's paralyzed. And he doesn't say, hey there, fellow, you know, be healed. Do a little jig, you know, can you walk up and down? Can you hop? Can you run? Throw that bed away. He doesn't do any of that kind of stuff. What he says to the man is, my son, friends, verse 29, it's 20 I say. He says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Oh my gosh. Didn't see that one coming. Friend, your sins are forgiven. Friend, your sins are forgiven. 21, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Remember the question that Luke is inviting us to ask, who is Jesus? He has the scribes and the Pharisees. He reports what they're thinking Who can forgive sins but God alone? We read on, verse 22. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. Good question. Get up and walk. What's easier to say? You can turn to your neighbor now and say your sins are forgiven. But can you, can you say to your neighbor, you know that Israel bowel syndrome you've been having, you know that issue you've been having, you know that whatever it is you've been having, be healed now. You see, actually on the face of it, anyone can say your sins are forgiven. Who knows whether they are or they aren't. And Jesus really kind of puts his reputation on the line because he says... 24, but I want you to know that the Son of Man, and that was his preferred title for himself, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them and took what he'd been lying on and went home, praising God. Wow. Wow. Now think about this just for a moment. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who is Jesus? Jesus says, I forgive your sins. And to make the point that he has power and authority to forgive sins, he says to the man, get up, take up your mat and go home. And that's exactly what the the crowd did. And the crowd went wild. The homeowner was a bit worried about his roof But the crowd went wild. The crowd went wild. It actually says, verse 26, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. And they were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. 
remarkable things. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus that apparently he can make the unclean clean? He can forgive sinners. Yes, he can heal the sick. Yes, he has authority over creation. Yes, he is Lord over evil. Who is this Jesus? And that's the the cliffhanger I'm going to leave you with today. Let's have the band up. Let's all stand, please. Our prayer and goal for this series is that you have a greater revelation, whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or 55 minutes or 55 years, no matter, of who Jesus is, of what he's about, what his agenda is. And our prayer is that you may go into deeper, you may plumb deeper the depths of his grace for you and his forgiveness, but also that you might see Jesus and have a revelation of him as Lord, Lord of all. And as I said last week, if God will answer that prayer for us, we will become a a community who, who, who truly carry with us the spirit of Jesus into every situation we go. Because if Jesus is Lord, then he's Lord of the the 640 to the city of London. He's Lord in your offices, in your homes, your schools, your colleges. He's Lord of everything. And the church of Jesus Christ in this day and this age needs a fresh revelation of who Jesus is. He is more than our best mate. Although truly he is that. He's more. Let's just pray. Come on, his spirit. Thank you for your presence, Lord God. Your presence is here with a purpose. That we might believe the truth and the truth will set us free. Lord God, I confess that I have settled for less. It's been convenient to me to settle for less. Lord, I confess that we as a people have with the best will in the world and the best of intentions, nonetheless, we have sold you short. We pray, Lord God, that you would so manifest yourself and your presence in this place that you will change and transform our lives and that what we experience and hear and see will overflow into the communities and spheres of influence in which we work. We thank you for your presence. And we thank you for your promise. 
and your intention to have your way among us. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus.